There's so many love songs written and so many uh, different themes to that. But at the end, every single relationship comes down to what? Trust. So I was raising the kids. We, had a, we always had a, um, a rule, which is we wouldn't lie to each other. I mean, you make that promise to your kids. That's a tough, that, you know, you got you to gotta live by that, right? And you, you might change how you live. We just said I was never going to lie to them. And so even when things went bad, I told them the truth. Um, if I told them something that was maybe, you know, whatever, there was just, wasn't going to lie to them. And it opened the door for them not to lie to me. And our premise was this, that without trust, we got nothing. Like trust is, we, we, if we have trust, we can get through anything. But without trust, we can't. And that worked a lot. It worked almost all the time. Almost all the time. <laughs> There's still some moments where they chose to not trust me with the truth. And we worked through them. Today, we still have that solid foundation of trust because of just that single commitment, you know? So um, welcome to Divine Direction. If this is your first week, you're here on the last week, which is uh, cool. No, it's all online, so you can go to Facebook. Um, this, is, this whole series is about seven decisions that will change your life, and particularly that will just give you this tremendous 2023. So when I say it's online, um, you can find us at Facebook, at Three Taverns Church. Um, you can also, they keep talking about the app. By the way, if, if you're not ready to make the commitment of loading another app on your phone, um, Jamie mentioned those next step cards, or you can just talk to any of us. You want to go on the women's retreat, want to come talk to some trivia. We'll get you hooked up. I understand. If you're like me, putting another app on my phone, kind of like going on a date, right? So, but however you want to get involved, get involved. Um, just so you know, um, we've been giving a little updates. You know, in November, December, God really put it in our hearts to just really stop and take a look. And everybody got together and we we're just praying. And God made it real clear to us we we're supposed to do three things this year, right? One was focused on the sustainable discipleship thing. You heard Jamie mention filming. I don't know if you guys know it or not, but it's this year, the disciple-making effort in, is we have people in from the Philippines, from Colombia, from all over the United States, actually, that our folks are discipling, but that are learning to be disciple-makers and people who want to take the workshop who uh, can't afford $3,000 to fly here. So what we've done is we've recorded that workshop. If you are here for the first time, you don't know what sustainable discipleship is. About 15 years ago, we got tired of uh, running a church because that's really kind of what it gets down to sometimes. Y'all get that, right? And um, we decided we really wanted people to have this incredible life. Some of us had it, and we kept trying to make disciples because everybody says that and realized most of what we're doing was education. And, and I was going to walk away and quit. Um, he just told us not to do that. So we leaned in. We spent a lot of time, actually 12 years, 12 years of just research and trying to learn from everybody and discovering how God made disciples in the Bible, it has resulted in this method that has just changed who we are. And it's now changing a lot of other people and this and that. So a lot of cool stuff going on there. And then the other place was just to focus on our community internally and externally. We spent about, what, five, six months just looking at ourselves and going, who are we? Are we where we need to be? Are we holy? Are we here? And... And at the same time, we've started really praying just about, you know, we're not a huge church, and we're okay with that. You know, we just be whatever God has us be. But we have a few spare chairs, so it's like, you know, um, God, we want to be used in your greater plan. You're going to just bring what you gave us to others, right? And then, of course, um, some of you attend, or, or your kids attend, the daycare. That is, a, that is our third, and, and I don't know about 
you guys, but it just, they keep adding families, and our teachers are so cool and incredible. So if you've been praying for those three areas of ministry, I just want to tell you this morning, uh, your prayers are being heard. God's doing all kinds of stuff, and he's growing us, too, and stretching us. So really cool. All right, which kind of all leads into um, this final week of divine direction. This final week of divine direction makes me kind of sad. I got to be honest. Uh, about seven months ago, I read the book, Divine Direction by Craig Rochelle, and God just put a fire in my heart. And so I test drove all seven of these decisions, right? I test drove them, and they began to make changes in my life. And I don't think I'm a total mess, but it just took me from where I'm at to a next great place. And it, and it, it actually changed the ending of my story. It rewrote it to even a better ending than I thought it was already a pretty good ending. So whether you're like, uh, you know, like bargain basement spirituality, you're just trying to figure it out, or whether you think you got it all together, I promise you like these six decisions we talked about so far and the one we're gonna talk about today um, just have the ability to just propel you like a catalyst for a deeper relationship with God, for um, just maybe rewriting the ending to your story, you know, or tweaking a few things along the way and to just be transformed. And that's just the, that is the opportunity that we have. Um, there's really no greater pursuit than spiritual completeness, right? And there's no greater pursuit and no greater answer to that than a Savior who rose from the dead, you know? Um, so let me just, let's just review the six decisions, okay? Week one, we made a decision to start something new, a new discipline, just one new discipline. We all listed about five, right? But we we're gonna do just one so we wouldn't be overwhelmed. Week two, we all, and we talked about all these decisions, which is really cool. We made a decision to stop something, one thing that was hindering us from being everything that God had designed us to be. And for some of you, that might have been a habit or cheesecake or whatever it is. For others, it might have been negative self-talk. It might have been just whatever it is. Week three, we talked about staying one place God would want you to stay when it'd be easier to go. You know, those times when you head for the hills, you're like, I'm done. Whether it's relationships or jobs or just circumstance. And so we just said, we're going to make a decision to stay in one place God wants us to stay this year, even though it'd be easier to go, to endure, to dig in, to lean in. Week four was to make a decision to be willing to go. Whether that meant leaving this place or leaving whatever, being willing to be open to God showing us something he wants us to want that was new. In other words, just open to faith and talking about that. Week five, we talked about making a decision to serve. We argued that Jesus said that spiritual maturity was what he defined. He said, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to serve. He is the God of the universe. He's sitting there incredibly wise. Even the people who didn't know he was Jesus, son of God, yet respected him, admired him. They tried to give him the best seat at the table, and constantly Jesus just kept serving. And he said that his serving was the way that God was. It was a characteristic of God. And so we said, like these previous, right, four decisions, they just call us to this idea of putting others first, putting God first, serving him, serving others. And then last week we talked about connecting. And the fact that this is not designed to be something that we do alone. And I don't mean that without God or the Holy Spirit. I mean just life, like just life. And that doesn't mean we have to be married. It doesn't mean anything other than we need to be in community. We're stronger together. We're very different. And that variety, I would argue biblically, but I would just argue overall, is powerful. 
that he created everything different. When you walk and you look at a forest, you look from a mountaintop, what you see is the beauty of God. But you're seeing a lot of variety, right? Yeah? Getting ready to head to Portland for seven days to see my brother and his wife. Amber and I are going to take a couple days off. It's been a long, long run already this year with uh, writing and conferences and teaching and you guys. And uh, so we're just going to take her little winter break and we're going to head out there to see my brother. And uh, I don't know what we're doing. It makes no sense because uh, it's going to be 80 degrees here on Friday. And in Portland, it's going to be 42. And guess what? Raining. Right. So uh, I actually went and bought a pair of rain boots. I now own them because all this winter, which has been very wet, I've been just getting my feet wet, taking the dogs out. I've been meaning to come up with something that didn't look stupid, right, to walk in my neighborhood. And so now I have a pair of rain boots because where we're going, all it's going to do is rain and be cloudy. And I'm like... The sun is coming out here. What are we doing? But even in that rain and the cloud and that weather, what we're going to see, the variety of God, right? We're going to see the things that he created, and there's beauty in it. Does that make sense? So connecting is super important for us. In fact, I don't think we can fulfill and be all that we can be without connecting. It's not just I think that. We demonstrate it through Scripture. So you can catch all of that online. But we have to end today. And as much as that bugs me, what we're going to do is end with a decision to trust. So we're just going to end with a decision to trust, and I guess when I look at that, it, that, that creates a little bit of a problem for me, right? Because all six decisions up to today require trust. I have to trust someone if I connect. I have to trust someone if I serve them. You ever done that, right? No good deed goes what? Unpunished, right? <laughs> yeah, you get it. I have to trust God's promises when money gets tight and somebody's in need, to be generous, to continue to be generous. He's always come through, but there's still a decision to trust. If I'm going to stay in a situation that's really tough because I think God wants me to want to stay, I'm going to have to trust because already I recognize the fact that I want, screaming, I want to run screaming off in the woods says what? I don't have what it takes. Does that make sense? I'm going to have to trust God for the strength and the power of his spirit and his inspiration to stop the things that are hindering my story. You get it. So all six decisions require trust, to trust him, and to trust him to work through me and around me. Why? Because I've already proven I can't do it on my own. I cannot do all this on my own, right? I just can't. Everybody's hit that wall. You've hit that place. Trust is critical. So um, I don't know about you. But I was kind of recapping when we started this morning all this stuff that God's had us and asked us to do. And I'm, I'm finding all of this very challenging. Does, does that make sense? So like every month for like the next four months, like two weeks of time, I'm out of town. And this is my home. And you are my people. I like my house. I like hanging out with my wife. But how do you look and tell people who want to figure out how to do what God's shown us to do, no. Well, you, it's simple. You say no. But when you go and you pray and God says, no, I want you to want this. Like, I want you to want this. I want you to get over yourself, serve others, put them first, right? You see how this works out? Well, you know that. If you made a decision to do something new, you face challenges, right? You face trials. And stuff gets tough. Doesn't it get tough sometimes? Anybody ever ask these questions? God, are you listening to me? Are you even hearing my prayers? Nobody has asked those questions. Come on. Right? 
Yeah, are you hearing my prayers? When's this going to be over? What's the purpose in all this? Like, I believe in you, but like, what's the purpose in all of this? And the truth is, whether we want to accept that we ask those questions, they're all natural emotional responses. And God gave us our emotions to circumstances where we're beyond ourselves. Whether it starts, stops, stay, go, connect, serve, we're beyond ourselves. And in those moments, it's natural to cry out, especially if you decide to believe in God, hey, 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 are you there? Because I don't see you here right now. Does that make, yeah. Jesus' own words. In this world, you will have trouble. Well, yay, let's all follow him. That's awesome. I remember reading this when I was first like kind of getting going in Christianity. This is not the message at all that that dude from the pulpit pounded into my head when he sang 18 verses of Just As I Am and begged me to come forward and accept the Lord Jesus Christ so my life would be flowery and perfect. No one ever said that. No one ever said, in this world you'll have troubles, right? It wasn't until I went to the, it was called the next new believers class. They gave me a book. Okay, I'm an adult. They gave me a book, and on like page three it said, you're going to have doubts, just face it. And then, like, this page does not at all reflect that pulpit. Like, what have I gotten into? And I quickly found out that there were a lot of challenges to this. And I didn't really have people to guide me. They wanted me to get saved, but they didn't know what to do with me afterwards. Right? I was a mid-20 recovered pothead with a bunch of other potheads who all got saved. They'd been praying for us for years. You know, go reach the guys at Waffle House. They got to say, but they didn't know what to do with us. Like, we didn't fit their Sunday school classes, right? You get it? And no one told me that I would have trouble. But what I've found over 30-something years of following now is this. If you follow him, if you choose love in this world, you're going to face troubles. If you get in a relationship and you try to do it God's way, you're going to face Troubles. If you decide to stay, when it be easy to go, you're going to face troubles. If you decide to go and take that next step of faith, do that new job, start that new business, go in that new relationship, follow God somewhere, you're going to have troubles. You want to go in the mission field, you're going to have troubles. And you're like, well, this is very depressing, Doug. No, but what I'm telling you is this. If you dare to make any decision for your good, you're going to face opposition. Because we live in a world that is not bent on your good. It is a world that has God and has evil. And when you step out for God, you get an enemy. That makes, yeah, okay, good. All right, so what do you do in these times? You accept that we're going to have troubles. You go back to Jesus' world. He said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. So I hear my dad. My dad was an IBMer, a Navy guy, went into IBM, worked his whole life, Got us out of, you know, I grew up in uh, Watts, L.A., if you know what that is, the slums. We grew up, he moved us from the slums to, like, a real house. And what he, it was 10 years of hard work on his part. 10, 12 years of just saving every penny and keeping us in the slums while he hid money away. And then he moved us out. He had an incredible work ethic. He was a hard guy. He was, a, you could put anything after hard and you'll get it. He was a tough cookie. But you know something? That man knew how to talk to me 
When I started working in nonprofit work in a church, okay, somehow left the board of directors and all that and came into this stuff because God called me to do this stuff. And so I was leading a church, and, and I was like, these people are just like, I led youth. You could look at a youth and go, paint yourself purple. They would. They'd do anything to follow God, right? They were looking for answers. You look at adults telling them to paint yourself purple, and they're like, yeah, we don't do that way here, boy. Right? You get it? it? It doesn't work that way. And I was like, Dad, these people are just, God, they have so many problems. You know what my dad said to me? He said to me, Jesus, his version of Jesus' words. He said this, son, if people didn't have problems, we wouldn't need managers. And if people didn't have problems, you wouldn't have a job right now. You better just accept it. You're surrounded by problems. You always will be. People got problems. They just have problems. In this world, we'll have trouble. Peter, credible follower of Christ, said this. When you face various trials, consider it like you're being smelted. You know, like you smelt gold. And I don't know if you know anything about smelting gold. Anybody smelted lately? No? Okay, good. So if you smelt, you heat it up, and, and you heat it up a certain amount, not too hot, and all this little junk comes up and separates from the gold, and you scoop it off. Then you heat it up, and more stuff. And you, and you keep heating it. And the hotter you get it, the more impurities come out. That's why it's, you know, 14, 10, 24 karat gold. Get it? It's more pure. And Peter says, that's what trials do to us. That it's okay that you have these trials that go on around you. They're going to heat you up, but you're going to get better. James says this. James says, tells us to lean in like a marathon runner into the trials that beset us because they're from God. And then I'm like, what? Nobody told me that either. But no, think about it. It's like a test. All right, you're doing pretty good. Let's see if everything you've learned so far is going to stick. And if it doesn't stick, we're going to go back and bench press a little more till you get stronger. It's not, a, it's not he's hating on you. He's trying to make sure you're ready before you go to the next place. But God knows everything. Exactly. He already knows if you're ready, but you don't. And that's what James says. Lean into it. Get everything you can out of it and prepare yourselves. Paul tells us to endure. Paul is an incredible follower of God. He said, endure through times of trouble. Endure. Because when you endure, that's when you receive the prize. And he talks about it like running races and fighting wars. He does all those kind of things. So the point is here is that um, life's going to have challenges. We're going to face trials. We're going to face troubles. We're going to face that. And in those times, trust is critical. And what I'd argue is this, trust in the words of God. Just the things he said. Like, you're my child. Trust, I will forgive you. Trust, there's a better way. Trust, don't kill your neighbor. Trust, don't sleep with your neighbor. Trust, don't sleep with your neighbors, anything. Wife, donkey, anything. It says it, don't covet your neighbor's, no. Don't steal your neighbor's donkey, right? Trust, obey the Sabbath. Just simple words, commands that are all good for us. Trust, don't co-sign a note. Anybody want it? wish you'd known that one? Yeah, don't co-sign a note. Get away, run, far, fast. There's a reason they need you to co-sign. There's a reason the bank won't loan them money. Trust just in the simple words. Love your neighbor as yourself. Trust in the simple words. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Trust the simple principles. But then also trust his promises. What's he say? I have plans for you. The people who follow me get blessed. You can never outgive God. When you're in trial, I'll be there. Trust 
in his words, trust in his promises. And then this is my favorite, trust in his history. I wish everybody would just read the Bible because it is historically accurate. So all the secular people have proven that this book is historically accurate. Why don't you just read it and read the history of God? Because there's nowhere in the book that God loses. So why not just trust in the history of God, right? If we took a team like the Chiefs and they won 32 in a row, right? And you could be on either team. What team would you go? The one that's won 32 times in a row. I used to say this to my kids. If you're on the right team, you always win and God always wins. God always wins. When they invite you to the party and you're underage, remember, just remember, God always wins. Does that make sense? Good God always wins. So when trials come, a lot of times they come from the outside. And sometimes they come from God. They also come from the inside too, right? Did anybody make a decision to stop eating cheesecake as your stop? No, cheesecake is our metaphor for everything we lust after. Fried foods, nobody chose to stop anything with food. No one? I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. That was already your New Year's resolution. But you, you get it, right? It, 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 we tempt ourselves, right? Like if you are trying not to eat cheesecake, you do not need to go to a place called the cheesecake. Right. <laughs> right? And if, if you're trying not to eat cheesecake, you should stay as far away from Jamie Lewis as possible. Because she makes the best cheesecakes in the world. She used to do it for a living. Anybody ever had her cheesecake? Man. Woo! All right, good. So you follow me, right? So troubles come from the outside, but they also come from the inside. And what always comes in there when you start having worry or concern or doubt, when trust is hard, it's because the antitrust of doubt is in the equation. But there's a solution for that. There's a huge biblical solution, and it's the word trust. In the same way that doubt is kind of the antitrust Trust smokes doubt. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's so simple. It's like, well, if I'm going to doubt and I go trust his what? Words. And I trust his promises. And why? Because I can trust his history. I can read six, you can read about 6,000 years of history where every time the people chose God, God won. And every time they didn't choose God, somebody chose to go like, no way, God. They got smoked. That's a King James word. It's like really bad. If you've seen uh, Godzilla meets Bambi, anybody ever seen that? No? It's a short film. You've never seen it? It's a big cult kind of film. Like it was a, it's a two and a half minute, two and a half minute film. They used to show it all the time before, um, oh, what was that? All kinds of crazy movies in the 80s. It's a two and a half minute short. Bambi's in the world. Da, 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 da. And there's computer music and the little butterflies. And out of nowhere comes a giant foot. Boom. That's the entire clip. That's it. It's a, it's a short. Yeah, okay. Godzilla meets Bambi. That's what smote means. So, you, so every time somebody thumbs their nose at God, they get smote, smitten, smated, smited. God can smite. So you have 6,000 years of history. So we trust his word, his promises, and his history. And we find these three principles. Ready? Are you ready for them? First, troubles aren't always as troubling as they seem. Troubles are not always as troubling as they seem. This is like you go hire a coach or a trainer, you go to the gym, you come home, you're sore. 
You go to the gym, you come home, you're sore. And you're like, why am I paying you this? I used to enjoy eating cheesecake. Now I can't hang out at the Cheesecake Factory. I can't hang out with Aunt, uh, Jamie or Andrew. I can't eat. I go to the gym. I look at all these people in their spandex who just look so great. I'm like falling out everywhere. I'm there and I come home and I'm sore and I'm miserable. Why am I paying this? Because you know what happens, right? If you endure the trial, right, and you keep testing your muscles and building them, then the outcome is what? Good. Paul, that incredible follower we talked about earlier, he had an eye disease. That's the best we can figure out is an eye disease. Call it any disease. They kept saying to God, God, heal me, heal me, heal me. You know what God said? No. Because this disease makes you trust me and my grace is sufficient. And Paul became a stronger, better person. Does he get it? Again and again and again and again, we end up more resilient, we end up stronger, we end up better when we what? Except that not everything that seems like a trouble is actually troubling. Some of them are tests, some of them are trials, but if we endure them, we become stronger. Principle number one. Two, second principle. If we're going to trust in his word and his promises and his history, we're going to learn this. God is always present in the middle of our troubles. And we forget that because we can't see him, because we don't understand him. Didn't you raise kids? Did anybody raise kids? Anybody have kids? Okay, got kids. Did you ever, like this just happened this week. So my daughter calls, she's grown, right? So she calls and she's, I can hear the tears. And I'm just like, oh, really? And it's not because I don't want to talk to her. You want to know why? Because I know there's no, nothing I can do. Like, I'm here. She's an hour and a half away. She's at work. And I can hear the tears. I, it reminded me of when she went off to college. And for the first six weeks, every night, I would get a call from her from the stairwell crying because she hated her roommates and she hated being away and she hated. And I would sit there and I would just comfort her and I would listen. I would be like, pray and just, you know, do something. My advice was hollow. It's kind of advice you give, you know, at a funeral home, just hollow. And then she'd get off the phone. I'd be up all night just in tears and gut-wrenching because I knew I couldn't fix it for her. I knew she'd get it, but I knew I couldn't fix it for her. Same thing this week. She faced a really, it really, from my perspective, is like big. But to her, it was big. She's hiding in the back of her classroom during a break, calling me. Because she knew she could trust me not to judge her. I'm like, good. I did one thing right. Maybe only one, but I got that one. I hung up the phone. I was telling Amber, it just kills me because we can't do anything about this. She has to live through this, and she's going to be better. Do you get it? So when we think God's not present, he is. He's a prayer away. He might even be silent. She called four more times this week. I couldn't answer the phone because we were filming. I just couldn't. We missed it. I finally got caught up with her. That, have that perspective of God. Know this. He is always present in your troubles. His words were what? I will never leave you or forsake you. He knows what's going on. All right, third principle. Ready? Not only is God present in our troubles, but he will use them for good. Not only is he present in our troubles, but he's going to use them for good. Romans 8, 28 says this. Anybody know what it says? It says what? God uses all things for the good of the people who follow him or choose him. Doug's 
somewhat extrapolated combination, about 12 different versions. You get it, though? God uses all things for good for those who trust him and are called according to his name. That means he uses what used to be shame to you and is now forgiven. He uses what was pain, which is now healed. And he will use that in your life. When you go through some of those horrible circumstances, you become the survivor who can talk to other people to help them avoid it or help them through it. He will use everything in your story to have a better ending, not only for your stories, but other stories and his story. Because when we overcome the trials, when we get over it, in heaven, the angels are having a party and they're like, another one made it. It brings glory to God. So he's not just present in our troubles. He'll actually use them for good. Craig Rochelle, the writer of Divine Direction, writes this. I think it's a great summary. When all we have left is faith, all we have left is God. I remember at a real critical point in my life, I was sitting in the bathtub with the water running over me. I'd sat there so long it was now cold, naked and afraid, just there. And I really didn't have any clue what to do, and I was questioning whether I really even believed in God. And then I realized I was talking to him. That's all he said, but you're talking to me. And I realized all three of these principles, that quick, didn't really, wasn't able to put words on them until later. All troubles really aren't troubling. You're going to get through this. And I'm going to use it to make you better. And by the way, I'm here in the shower. You get it? It's so powerful when we realize that when all we have left is faith, all we have left is God. I want to just take a minute to tell you the story of a guy named Thomas. Thomas was one of the followers of Christ, one of the inner followers of Christ. And Thomas, um, towards the end of Jesus' lifetime, you know, Jesus, you know, you he grew up, he didn't start his ministry till about 30. He spent three years just pounding in, right, and doing hard ministry, good ministry. And then, and then his destiny was to die for the forgiveness of sins, and none of the disciples really got that, right? But his destiny was to die, and then he did die, and then they did put him in a tomb, then he did rise from the dead, then he, what? Then, then he walked around on earth for 40 days. People saw him, believers, unbelievers, historians, then he ascended into heaven. Are you with me? Then he ascended into heaven. Now, when we look back on that history, it is really easy when we look back on that history to go, well, Thomas, why did you doubt? Because that's how most of you have been introduced to Thomas. As what? Doubting Thomas. There are speeches on him, books on him, in Bibles that says doubting Thomas. Well, I want to argue that that's probably the most unfair, misaligned reading of that text ever. What you actually see is this. There's a lot of them who didn't get that he rose. Peter questioned it. We don't call him doubting Peter, right? Lord, is that you? The guys on the road to Emmaus, they're walking right with Jesus. They don't even recognize him. But for some reason, doubting Thomas gets pegged because Jesus shows up, and it's the first time that Thomas has been around this resurrected, risen from the dead, alive Jesus. And he said, all he says is this, what? Do you remember the words? Lord, is that you? 
And then Jesus says this famous line, and he says, Thomas, do you still not believe? And some new version changed it to doubt. And so then he became doubting Thomas. But I want you to think about something for a minute. What did Jesus do next? Put him in time out? No. He said, Thomas, touch the scars, touch the side. And darn it, Thomas did it. And the moment that Thomas actually touched his side, Thomas before then believed in Jesus. But the moment he touched the wound, he now believed Jesus. Do you get it? It was actually a powerful moment of change because before he believed in everything that was said. But when he put his hand in the wound of the risen Savior, he now believed Jesus. It was all real. Jesus didn't discipline him. Jesus had compassion. So when Thomas doubted, when Thomas questioned, when it was all overwhelming because he couldn't look back on history and it was happening real time, Jesus acted in compassion. And Thomas trusted him. And that trust, that moment of trust, changed Thomas forever. Nobody ever tells the end of Thomas's story. You want to know the end of his story? He went to India as a missionary and led an entire continent to Christ. That's not doubting Thomas. That's trusting Thomas. You get it? So powerful and so, so incredible that it leaves us with just like one question to ask ourselves. And that's this. Who do I trust? Just think about it for a minute. Who do you trust? Are you trusting in your spouse? Are you trusting in your employer to write you a paycheck? Are you trusting in this church to get it done? Are you trusting... What are you, are you trusting yourself? I did that for a long time, right? I can gut through. I can get this done. There's nothing I can't learn. Are you trusting? Yes. I promise you you're trusting something. Your best friend, right? Yourself, Facebook, right? For your self-worth. What are you trusting? Because you're trusting something. And the argument I'm going to make today is this, is that we need to trust in God. We have 6,000 years of history of words that have come true and have blessed everybody who followed them. From simple commands to incredible promises. Everyone who's ever followed those, even lost people who apply God's truths, win. They may not go to heaven, but they win. God's words, his promises are like physics in the spiritual sense. They are true and they work. And so my argument would be this, is that Maybe the most important decision that underpins all the other six decisions we've covered is a decision to say this. I believe you got this. That everything that's troubling to me isn't troubling. Everything that's scary to me isn't scary. If I know you told me to take this step of faith, Lord, help me what? Increase my faith. Wait, remember that incredible dad who... He wanted the guy, the soldier, sorry, the centurion, he wanted the soldier to say, what did he say? I know you can do it, but what? Lord, I believe, but help me in my, my unbelief. And in that moment, Jesus did things, and the centurion went from believing in Christ to what? Believing Christ. He stands ready to listen to our doubts. He stands ready to to work with us when we're trying to start and stop and stay and go and serve and connect. If we just trust him. Trust him enough to be honest with him. Trust him enough to ask. Trust 
that he has never let anybody down. It's kind of the underpinning to all seven decisions. So when I ask you this morning, if you're a believer, will you trust? Like who are you going to trust? And before you just blurt out, God, which none of you did. Ask yourself, because when you say you're going to trust God, it means that you're going to take what you say you believe, right? And align your life to it. You're going to align your decisions with what we say we believe about God. We're going to align our choices with what we say we believe in God. We're going to make those other six decisions on top of the seventh decision and take our 2023 to this incredible place. So I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to just reflect and just to ask yourself, who do I trust? In all the other decisions, we sent you home with this simple homework. You were going to pick one thing to start, one thing to stop. One place to stay when it be easier to go, one place to go when it be easier to stay, right? One person, one moment that you were going to serve this year, and, and one decision to connect with another person. I have no homework to send you with. Because there is no other answer to this that's going to work. There's just one. It's because there's only one true living God. There's only one guy who raised from the dead. There's only one man who's ever conquered death. There's only one man who brought us new life. There's only one. And his name is Jesus. And we need not be ashamed of that. Son of the living God who is God in flesh absolutely the son of the living God who's in flesh. I wish I could invite you all to go to Indiana with us. We're going to do this conference, and, and one, of the, one of the focuses is, do you believe God? Do you believe God when he said these things and greater will you do? Do you believe God when he said, go make disciples, I'm with you? Do you believe him when he said, I'll never leave you, forsake you? Do you believe when he said, if you follow me, you'll have an abundant life, even if you have trials? Hey, P.S., everybody's going to have trials and troubles. It's a matter of whether you do them on the winning team or the maybe coming in second team. There's just no other answer I can give you today. So I'm actually going to leave you with a little bit of a twist. In fact, Joe said, uh, I don't know if this is going to work, this last song, Doug, because it doesn't tie to this at all. And I said, it does. Because it's all about trust. This is a way old song. One of John's favorites, because John loves Third Day, and I don't. <laughs> but I love this song. We used to play this song, When I Led Youth, who would do anything that you asked them to do. And we used this song again and again and again. We would play the song to them to try to make them understand how much God loved them. How he did everything to get to us. 
he can be trusted. If you know the words, feel free to sing them. If not, listen to them because they will change your world. Jesus said that his greatest goal for you was that you would have life and have it abundantly. He not only gave up his life willingly, but he took back his life. He is risen. He is in heaven. And he is your advocate. He is the one who makes you the hero of your story. He is the one who empowers you. first decision is to trust. I hope you'll do that. God bless you.